Well, have you ever looked back at a moment in your life and thought, wow, that was God's timing. God's providential hand was all over that situation. Well, Esther chapter 6 is a chapter just like that, filled with humor, but filled with the unmistakable providence and timing of God, fighting on behalf of his people, putting all the puzzle pieces together, weaving together the tapestry. He does that in Esther 6. He does that in our lives as well, even when we can't see it. More on that today on Walk in Truth. These are the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. Now, here's Pastor Michael. Well, when we introduced the book of Esther, uh, if you were here for chapter one, we had a fun night together and we looked at the satire and the humor of the book. But since chapter one, you may have noticed that it's gotten a little bit more serious. And the reason that it's gotten more serious is because Haman has been introduced and he's hatched his evil plan to annihilate the Jewish people. And so there's been this looming threat. There's been this hatred from Haman to Mordecai. There's been this edict that's now been given the signet ring of the king that all Jews in every province are to be killed. It's just a matter of time. The clock is ticking. And so the story has grown kind of dark. And even with all of the foibles of the, the king and the weaknesses that we can see in the leadership of the Persian Empire, still there is a dark threat. And it is ever looming in the story. But light is about to break through in the story. And the turning point of the book of Esther is chapter 6, where Esther has... You know, she stepped forward, but we still don't know how the story is going to end. And she has stepped forward and God is working. God's been working the whole time. In fact, God is at the forefront of chapter six. Esther is not even mentioned in the chapter. She is nowhere really uh, to be found in the chapter. And even Mordecai is a passive participant in the chapter. The hero of chapter six is God because he's been the hero all along. And he's been the one that's been orchestrating events. And he has a way of working things together for good, things that look dark and look bleak. It's as if God is saying in Esther chapter 6, step back, watch out, get out of the way, and let me work. And that's one of the biggest things that we all struggle with is to give God true control and to trust him. That's what faith is. Faith is trusting God. It's not trusting yourself. It's not trusting a force. It's trusting the living God. That's what faith is. It's object-oriented. And the reason I wanted you to turn to Genesis is I want to show you a couple of passages that kind of reveal the way that God works, even when someone has or some people have evil plans. So I want you to take a look at Genesis 45, just a couple of example verses. Look at 45.5. This is Joseph. He's just revealed himself to his brothers in Egypt. And here's what he says, 45.5 of Genesis. He says, now, do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God, Genesis 45.5, sent me before you to preserve life. Skip down to verse seven, same chapter. God sent me before you to preserve you, a remnant in the earth, and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Get this. The Lord took the mistakes of the brothers to save them. Their underhanded scheme against their brother that they were jealous of, God turned that around for the good of them and the nation, their offspring, if you will. Look at verse 9. 
Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not delay. Skip over to Genesis 50. Just a a couple more examples of how this works. Genesis 50 verse 20 is the Romans 8.28 of the Old Testament that God works all things together for good. This is what we can know to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So, Notice in in 19 of uh, Genesis 50, Joseph said to them, do not be afraid for am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. You meant it for evil, God meant it for good. And so scholars back to the book of Esther have said that God is the God of, he's the great exploiter of what man intends for evil, God can exploit it for his good purposes. Now there's so many layers to that that I don't completely understand. Uh, When I think about, you know, all the different things that go on, think about our individual lives. Think about the providential hand of God in your life. Just your salvation alone, your salvation story. Think about the way that you were witnessed to. Was it a gospel tract? Was it somebody at work? Was it uh, a grandmother or a parent that prayed for you for many years? What was it? Uh, Was it multiple times? Was it over a stretch of many years that finally you yielded but God was pounding on the door? Well, that's God's providential hand working in your life. Think about your spouse. You may not want to, but go ahead and anyway. (laughs) That was a joke. Anyway, think about your spouse. Think about, hopefully that's a good thought. Think about how you met one another. Think about, uh, I I often uh, just ponder meeting Brenda the way that I did and how we both ended up in a certain city. And she was, uh, her dad was in the military, so she really didn't know a stable home for a long time. And she ended up, in the same city that I was in, and we met at a company, and we, we ended up you know, liking each other, and then it developed, and, but you think of all the things that had to take place for that to occur. And so that is uh, the way that God works. He's a miracle-working God. He's at the forefront, and he has his purposes. And this is what Esther 6, verse one says. Now during that night, Esther 6, 1, The king could not sleep, so he gave an order to bring the book of records, the chronicles, and they were read before the king. Now, during that night is the night that is at the end of chapter five. So here's what happens. It's the night of the banquet, and Esther has had um, Haman and the king over. And look at uh, 512. It says, Haman also said, even Esther the queen, let let no one but me come with the king to the banquet which she had prepared. And tomorrow also I'm invited by her with the king. Yet all of this does not satisfy me every time I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Then Zeresh, his wife, she's almost like a, who was the wicked queen? Uh, uh, Jezebel. Jezebel who told her hubby, Oh, if you can't have that, that uh, what was it that he wanted? It was a vineyard. It was the vineyard of, uh, I don't even remember his name right now, but he wanted that vineyard and she said, okay, I'll get you the vineyard. We'll just set it up so he gets killed so you can have your way. And this is kind of what Zeresh was. So she, she says to him, along with the friends of, of Haman, have a gallows 50 cubits high, 75 feet high, made in the morning, 
And in the morning, ask the king to have Mordecai hanged on it. So get to work on, on these gallows, 75 feet high, and uh, you can go to the king, and you can have Mordecai hanged on it. Then you can go joyfully with the king to breakfast. Actually, it's the banquet the next evening. And the advice pleased Haman, so he had the gallows made. That's, that's the same thing the same night, it says, during that night. So chapter five ends with the advice from the wife to build the gallows for the arch enemy to die on them, and then you can be happy, and then everything will be okay, okay, honey? Let me go ahead and pet you. It'll be, you want your blankie? <laughs> and so during that night, he got to work. There was a construction project, and the gallows were constructed, and that's what's happening. The night, the king could not sleep. Custom-made gallows, made by Haman, we might call him the hangman. We've called him Haman, we've called him horrible Haman, now he's the hangman, because all he can think about is hanging his arch enemy on the gallows, which I told you that may mean impaling and there are people who believe that the Persians may have even invented some form of crucifixion, and maybe that's what the gallows are, is more like being impaled on a pole. So he's had this construction project going, and maybe during the night, he's been singing a song taught to him by his wife, just hang Mordecai and you'll be happy. Hang Morty, be happy. And maybe he sang it all night long, right? And he's gonna die, and then when he's dead, he doesn't bow to me like I really want, and so once he's dead, then I can enjoy my steak tomorrow night at Esther's house. How wonderful. Mordecai is gonna hang, right? And the hammer was hammering away. But something else was at work that night. The king could not sleep. I was reading one commentator that called this sleepless in Susa. <laughs> now, we're not told why the king couldn't sleep, but we could come up with some uh, human ideas. The human ideas are that Esther was acting kind of weird. She had come to him unsummoned. He had put out the scepter, and then he had asked her, he had given her favor and she got the king's grace and he said, up to half my kingdom, just name what you want and I'll give it to you, Esther. And she wouldn't tell him. And then she invites him over to this banquet that she's prepared and Haman and, and the king go over there and then he says once again, tell me what you want, honey, up to half my kingdom, it's yours. And she won't tell him again. And I don't know if he was replaying that in his head, like what's going on? Why would she come unsummoned? And then why wouldn't she tell me when I made this gracious offer twice no less? What's going on with that woman? I don't understand, sleepless in Susa. Maybe, as one other writer suggested, it was the construction noise from Haman's project just down the road, which would be ironic that was keeping the king awake. But since there's no specific reason mentioned, we would have to argue that God was the one that was keeping the king from sleep. The literal language means that, that sleep fled from him. And the Septuagint version, an ancient version of this text, says that God caused sleep. 
You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Did you know God's name is not mentioned once in the book of Esther, but his fingerprints are all over it? The famous verse, and who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this, tells us that Mordecai sensed God moving in the darkest of times. This is a story about ordinary, everyday people taking a stand and becoming vessels through which God saved a nation. The story is filled with satire and seriousness, but it ends with celebration as God turns things around for good as only He can. Get your copy of Pastor Michael Lance's teaching of the entire book of Esther for such a time as this. Yours as a thank you for your financial gift of $30 or more to Walk in Truth. Visit walkintruth.com today. That's walkintruth.com. Today, it's very important to know what you believe and why you believe it. Do you have an answer when your friends, family, or coworker asks you about your faith in Christ? The Truth Academy is here to help the believer contend for the faith. You can take online or on-campus classes on subjects like Christian apologetics, Christian doctrine, world religion, contemporary cults, and much more. Enrollment for the spring quarter is open now until April 12th. Visit thetruthacademy.com today to register. That's thetruthacademy.com. See you in class. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. She got the king's grace and he said, up to half my kingdom, just name what you want and I'll give it to you, Esther. And she wouldn't tell him. And then she invites him over to this banquet that she's prepared. And Haman and and the king go over there. And then he says once again, tell me what you want, honey. Up to half my kingdom, it's yours. And she won't tell him again. And I don't know if he was replaying that in his head. Like, what's going on? Why would she come unsummoned? And then why wouldn't she tell me when I made this gracious offer twice no less? What's going on with that woman? I don't understand. Sleepless in Susa. Maybe, as one other writer suggested, it was the construction noise from Haman's project just down the road, which would be ironic that was keeping the king awake. But since there's no specific reason mentioned, we would have to argue that God was the one that was keeping the king from sleep. The literal language means that that sleep fled from him. And the Septuagint version, an ancient version of this text, says that God cause sleep to flee from him. And I think that God can and does do that at times. Sometimes we just can't sleep. Sometimes it's a very human reason, like we're rotating things in our brain, replaying events from the day, concerns we have, worries about people, whatever it may be. But sometimes sleep may flee from us because God has something to say to us. And maybe something we didn't see during the day, he wants us to see in the night. And oftentimes when maybe if you're woken up and you're, it's not easy for you to go back to sleep, maybe that's a time to pray and say, Lord, what would you have me to pray right now? What are you wanting to show me right now? The king could not sleep. So he gave an order to bring the book of records, the chronicles of the kings of Persia. And they were read before the king. The chronicles of the kings of Persia were official Persian records of the king's activities and actions. And they were documented much like we would document meeting minutes for a business or some sort of organization. So that's basically what it was. It was documentation of events and how the kingdom or the court responded to those events. And it would just, it would be similar to reading like the, uh, 
the health care bill that came down the pike some years ago with however many pages it was. And then we found out that nobody who was commenting on it actually read it. Because nobody wants to read documents like that. It would be like reading a book on various tax codes. And maybe the intention of the king. You know, the king had a lot of options. He had, an, he had a plethora of women at his beck and call in his harem. He could have called for entertainment. He could have called for a midnight snack. He could have called for uh, the best wine. He could have asked for music. He could have had people feed grapes to him. He could have had anything he wanted, and he asked for the book of the Chronicles of the Kings. Are you kidding me? Boring with a capital B. But maybe that was his intention all along was to get something to be read to him that was boring so he could go to sleep. <laughs> Ever been there before? Sometimes it's easy to go to sleep when we're bored. Don't take that personally right now as I'm preaching to you. Please, please don't do that. So the king has this book. The ESV renders it the book of memorable Memorable Deeds, the Chronicles, the NIV has it as the book of the Chronicles, the record of his reign. The record recorded official transactions of the Persian kings. It was the record of his reign. So you could imagine like an attendant, a servant of the king in his little nightcap. Maybe he's got his pajamas on. It could be a cold night in Persia. And he gets out this big book with these records and the king's, you know, in his bed and the king says to the attendant, read me a story. Tell me a story. Read my story. And so, okay, king, page one. On such and such a date, you went out of the royal residence and you went off over here and you got an ice cream cone. And then you moved. No, they, would, they wouldn't do stuff like that. But it had to be official business where the king was doing something and so the king is listening. He's in his bed. He's got his blankie and maybe his bottle. <laughs> Put me to sleep. Read me the record of my life. It would be like going over to somebody's house and they play home movies. Have you ever had that happen before? We all enjoy our home movies, right? Our videos when our kids were growing up. But other people... If you don't know this, this would be an insight that you need to take home with you. Other people do not enjoy your home movies. Oh, look at him when he was two and he was, oh, he saw the bird fly over the... No. You may look over at your friends and see this. Now, the record apparently went back multiple years. In fact... Uh, scholars believe that the record that the king is going to come across is about four to five years old. And here's, this will ring a bell for those of you who have been studying this. And it was found written, so the, this attendant's reading the record, uh, what Mordecai had reported concerning Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who were doorkeepers, that they had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. Now, you can write down chapter 2, verse 21, but basically the attendant's reading the record out loud, and he comes to the place in the official record that revealed that Mordecai had uh, revealed an assassination plot against the king. 
And all of a sudden, the king kind of woke up. It, it caught his interest, and maybe he, he propped up from the bed. And the record of this exposing of this, of this uh, coup, if you will, against the king was revealed. And the king said, what honor or dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? Then the king's servants who attended him said, nothing has been done for him. Nothing. Now, we can imagine the king kind of springing out of the bed. What do you mean, nothing? As you study a little bit about Persian kings, it was their delight to honor people for serving them and protecting them. In fact, it, it bode well for their own life. If you took care of your people, then they would take care of you kind of thing. But there was a glaring oversight, and it had happened four to five years before that when Mordecai revealed the plot, even risking his own life, nothing was done for him, nothing, zero. And the king was like, this is unacceptable. This is not how we run the Persian Empire. And isn't it interesting that this is the time that this comes out? Mordecai had never been rewarded for something that had happened, let's say, five years before. Something that was big and major in the kingdom. And I mentioned when we were in that chapter that sometimes we get overlooked in life. Maybe we didn't get rewarded for something. And Mordecai just decided to put it aside. He decided to forget about it. But do you think he was hurt? He was human. Do you think he was like, wow, they, they will acknowledge and give accolades to other people, but they, they didn't acknowledge me for this. And as time went by, I think he just put it to the side. But in God's providential hand, just at this moment when the king can't sleep, the record comes forth. Now think with me. That very night, what's Haman been up to? Building gallows because he wants to kill Mordecai. And his plan is to get this done, show up at the king's residence, and ask for Mordecai to be killed. Well, during the night, something that Mordecai did to help the king is revealed. And God is doing his master work. No matter what somebody may plot against you, whatever wicked schemes or evil twists that they have, God is in heaven. And God is our ultimate defender and protector. And God is in the timing business. And you could say everything about providence is really about timing. And so no honor or distinction or recognition had been bestowed on Mordecai. Nothing, zero. And the king was like, we are going to remedy this immediately. So the king asked, we can imagine that this is the wee hours of the morning now. You know, the king couldn't sleep. Maybe the record was read to him for a while. Maybe he was beginning to doze a little bit. And then the Mordecai thing was mentioned. I don't know, but it's probably the wee hours of the morning. So it's very, very early is what I would conclude. And the king wants to remedy this problem. And he doesn't seem to do anything without talking to his advisors. <laughs> Have you noticed? He doesn't seem to be the uh, sharpest king, the brightest bulb. Uh, maybe he was about as sharp as a basketball. I don't know. But, but here's this king. And so he says, well, who's around? Who's in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace. He was still singing his song, right? Hang Morty. I'll be happy. And he's into the court. 
and, you know, whistling, and he's ready. He's going to go to the king now, and he had just entered the outer court. Talk about timing of the king's palace. He had stood where Esther had stood a chapter before, and she was getting courage to go to the king unsummoned. And he was going to go to the king, middle of four, in order to speak to the king about hanging Mordecai on the gallows, which he had prepared for him. So he was ready. He was going to go to the king. He was going to put this before him and get this done. And the king was looking for someone to talk to about what he had just heard that night as well. Well, Haman just had entered the order, outer court of the king's palace in order to speak to the king. Perfect timing. Well, Haman might think his presence is perfect. His timing is perfect. The early bird gets the worm, but he's going to become the worm. <laughs> what happens next will be a big blow to both his ego and career and will point to his ultimate downfall as the Lord continues to turn things around for his good will. Well, remember, if you've tuned in halfway through today's teaching, please feel free to listen to it again on our website. Modern technology and all that is happening in our world affords us the opportunity to catch up or hear the rest of a teaching, and it's all there for you at walkintruth.com. You can listen to today's teaching, previous ones as well. There's even teaching in other books of the Bible. If you missed the first five chapters of Esther and you want to catch up or you know, focus in on one of those chapters for a Bible study, you can do all of the above anytime at walkintruth.com. Okay, well, I'll talk to you tomorrow as we dive into part two of the teaching in Esther chapter six called A Divine Backfire. Until then, may God richly bless you. Catch you then. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.